Welcome to Say Hello to My Little Friend for episode number 24. I'm your host, Glenn Peoples. Okay, you would have to have been living under a rock not to know that something big in the world of politics happened just recently. That's right. Barack Hussein Obama is the new president of the United States of America. Not only did he win the election, but in a way that is so intense it's surreal he has captured the hearts of so many people in a way that i don't think i've seen in any democratic nation in my lifetime not that i'm that old of course there are some people who don't support him at all but for those who do a culture of what looks like abject adoration has grown around him bigger than a rock star bigger than a religious leader a huge outpouring of uncontainable cheering whistling screaming mesmerized tearful gazes you name it he has people spellbound i thought it appropriate therefore to call this episode breaking the spell i only hope the reputation of this fine episode won't be tainted by the fact that Daniel Dennett wrote an awful book about religion with the same title. I'm going to raise five issues for discussion surrounding Barack Obama, why people love him, uh, issues surrounding his policy ideas and so forth. Don't expect too much in just one episode, but hopefully it's something to think about, to agree or disagree with, to comment on. Hopefully you get the idea. So without further ado, let's get started. Issue number one. Yes, he's black. I said it. And one of the things that a lot of people are talking about is the fact that Barack Obama is black. His family hails in fairly recent history from Kenya. So while he's not descended from black slaves in the United States, the fact that a black man has now become president resonates very strongly with people who are the descendants of people who were bought and sold in America, and people who suffered grave abuses of their basic civil rights in what is actually quite recent history. As Obama said upon learning of his victory in his acceptance speech, who now says that there is a glass ceiling any longer? A black man has risen to the very top. If you're someone who celebrates Obama's victory because, or at least partly because, he is a black man, I want you to stop and think. The fact that American people are just as willing to vote for someone who is black as someone who is white says something good about American voters. Okay, so it says something about them. But the fact that Barack Obama is black says nothing about whether or not he was a good choice for president. That's, I think, a distinction that should be obvious to everyone. The fact that anyone would have voted for Barack Obama because they wanted to see a black president 
says something terrible about those people. It's patronizing in the extreme, and it totally undermines the dream of black civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., who said that he hoped for a day when a man is not judged by the color of his skin, but by what? By the content of his character. Ironic, isn't it? I understand the temptation to try to usher in firsts. You know, we want to have the first black president. We want it to be him. Supporters of Hillary Clinton, and to be fair, to some extent, supporters of Sarah Palin as well, but she wasn't a presidential candidate. But supporters of Hillary Clinton were just as bad, pushing for the first female president, as though the fact that she's the first female president makes her a good president. You don't vote for someone who is going to be a first, simply because, or even partly because, they're going to be a first. That's irrelevant when you're asking whether or not they're going to be a good choice. That should be obvious. I know this isn't the case, but I'd like it to be the case, that the fact that Mr. Obama is black is not seen as something great about his presidency. You know, some people seem to be celebrating the fact that it's good that America has a black president. It, it's not good in and of itself that America has a black president. It's good that America is willing to have a black president, any, you know, no less than they're willing to have a, a president of any other color. But the fact that America has a black president doesn't say anything good about this presidency. Okay. Issue number two. Issue one was brief. Issue number two. What exactly do you like about him? And put a few underlines under the word exactly. Because don't get me wrong, when I ask that question, I'm not trying to slap him down or insinuate that there's nothing worth liking about President Obama. There is. This might seem like a fairly elementary question to ask people who are literally fawning over him, but what is it exactly that's so great about him? I'm not, or at least not yet, saying he's a bad choice, but even if he's a good or a great choice for President the reaction that so many Americans have to him is not just wrong, it's confusing. Even a really good president does not warrant the screaming, the adoration, the near worship that Barack Obama has received and is receiving. It's, I think it's just disconnected from reality. As a good friend of mine, Didi Warren, commented, whether he's a good choice or not for president, this adoring reception and unrestrained adulation cannot possibly be good for him. It just sets him up to fail, because no matter how good he is, he or anyone could never live up to the image of perfection and awe suggested by the incredible support that he is seeing. So why? Why is there this crazed response? And I'm deliberately, it's not that I'm trying to overstate it, the response is just crazy. Why? Why are people not just in love with him, but so in love with him, besotted with the man? I can account for some of this. He's new looking. He's younger looking. He's good looking. He's black, which of course makes him immediately different looking from any previous president. He's, he's hip. He's tech savvy. He understands the internet. He's a Mac user, which automatically helps his case in the minds of smart people. He's extremely, and I mean really, articulate. He is a great motivational speaker. He has an outstanding public relations team. Now, these are all 
fine and good things in so far as a president needs to be a good representative, like a good sales rep, as it were, of his country. They're good things. They certainly generate positive attention, and they can even get people thinking, and here's the issue, they can even get people thinking that you're offering something when you're really not. I've seen this kind of thing many times in huge charismatic churches where there's a very outgoing pastor or a visiting speaker who dresses sharp, speaks with enthusiasm, motivates people, gets the congregation mouthing Amen, if you're American, or Amen, if you speak English, and nodding adoringly in a very similar way to the multitudes repeating the mantra, Yes, we can. While the actual content of the visiting speaker or the pastor's sermon is pretty much nil. He's an expert at communicating who has virtually nothing to say. I'm talking about the pastor in, in the illustration here. Now think about Obama. Once we strip all these wonderful traits away from Obama, imagine that President Barack Hussein Obama is an overweight, inarticulate, boring, ugly, old, white man without a slogan to his name. Take all that away. What's he actually saying? What is he offering? What is there about him as a president that makes him desirable, that makes him so desirable? When I put the question this way, I'm ruling out in advance certain types of answer that are simply irrelevant. If you say, because he gives me hope, which is the kind of vague answer I tend to see, then you haven't answered the question. You haven't explained what it is about him as a president that gives you hope that he will be a good president. If you say, because he's inspiring, which is also the kind of vague answer that I suspect to be true in many cases, you still haven't answered the question. The question has nothing to do with how he makes you feel. I've asked you to strip all of that away. Forget the warm fuzzies. Forget the emotional hype. Forget it all. Just be really cold about this. What is it about him that makes him such a wonderful president that the worship is justifiable? That's something that bothers me about the masses who love Obama. There is a huge, inexplicably huge amount of affection and zeal behind the support of this man as president but often very little by way of solid detail to explain why these people are so in love. So that's the second issue. The third issue is kind of an expansion on it. Issue number three, quote-unquote, because he's not Bush. The third issue has to do with one reason for loving Obama that isn't always directly stated. Sometimes it is stated, but it isn't always directly stated. But I get the feeling that it's lurking behind so much of the hype. McCain people say, would just have been another Bush, another George W. Bush. And whatever Barack Obama is, we know that he's not Bush or anything like Bush, and that's got to be a good thing, right? Now, first of all, don't get me wrong. Some people who think this actually know what they're talking about. They are genuinely committed leftists when it comes to politics, and they seriously want a more socialist-leaning policy in the USA that contrasts with Bush's fiscal conservatism, well, conservatism up to a point, that is, apart from his war spending, but I'm not going to go there. They really do favor left-leaning politics, market interventionism, and a greater degree of wealth redistribution programs. 
they don't like America's heritage of private property rights with the stress of the rewards of uh, individual achievement and the classical liberal intentions of the Constitution. They don't like that. Now, that's fine. They're welcome to those views as much as I might disagree with them. The people that I have in mind here are the people who have been caught up with the media's rather sustained strikes on the Bush administration over the last few years. They believe that all of the attacks made in the various outlets of the American media on Bush are justified, and they believe that Obama represents a major departure from the terrible things that Bush was attacked for, e.g. foreign policy, military intervention, and in, in overseas affairs, and so forth. Now, I'm not going to go into the lack of honesty and integrity in the American media's treatment of Bush, partly because we'd be here all day because there's so much of it, and also partly because I have my own problems with Bush. I don't want to give the false impression that, that I'm as blinded by him as some people are by Obama, because that would I completely fail to portray what I think of Bush. But when it comes to the claim that Obama is a world away from Bush and, and represents fundamental change, is that really true? Setting aside some of the deliberate lies told about Bush, for example, the absurd claim that Bush actually thought that Nelson Mandela had been killed by the Iraqi government. Yes, there are people who think that. Well, people who say that, anyway. How much of a departure from the flag-waving, tough-talking, hard-line, policy-wielding, Hamas and Iran-hating image of Bush is Obama really going to be? Only time will accurately tell, but the indications that we have don't really justify the assumption that the White House is about to be turned upside down. Observe. And I actually heard this first example on The Daily Show with John Stewart. Observe the similarity, first of all. I'm starting with the more superficial things. Observe the similarity in the rhetoric between Bush and Obama as they announce their intentions to the world. Have a listen to this. For those who seek to advance their aims by inducing terror and slaughtering innocents, you cannot outlast us and we will defeat you. Freedom is a universal gift of Almighty God. The God-given promise that all are equal, all are free. We will work with our friends and allies across the world to defend our way of life. We will not apologize for our way of life, nor will we waver in its defense. We can usher in a new era of enhanced prosperity and peace. America must play its role in ushering in a new era of peace. Did our generation advance the cause of freedom? We carried forth that great gift of freedom and delivered it safely to future generations. Well, okay, you might be thinking, that's not that much of a big deal. I mean, in, in order to, um, you know, stir up the enthusiasm of the masses in times of turmoil, any president's got to talk tough. As, as the guy on, the, on the, um, the Daily Show said, I don't mind it so much when Obama says it because I don't think he really means it. Well, I don't think that's true at all. But you see what I mean. They had to say that in order to distance him from Bush. But getting on to, to things that are a little more serious, think of the issue of, say, Iran, or the stance taken towards terrorist groups like Hamas. George Bush gets criticized for that. For example, with Iran, people say that he's just fear-mongering against Iran, trying to concoct excuses to take a hostile stance towards them. Just listen to this. Saddam Hussein aids and protects terrorists including members of Al-Qaeda. 
He has also given aid, comfort, and sanctuary to terrorists, including al-Qaeda members. My good friend, uh, Senator Obama, that's a very provocative statement. Uh, you previously said that all options are on the table with respect to Iran. And I think that it's important for people to reflect on the real meaning of that, that you're setting the stage for another war. Iran is a, an adversary. Their pursuit of nuclear weapons poses a grave threat to us. Uh, if Iran had a nuclear weapon, it would be a dangerous threat. To I have no doubt uh, Iran possessing nuclear weapons will be a major threat to us. Iran was a threat. Iran is a serious threat if it gets nuclear weapons. Iran is a threat. We all know that Iran poses a threat. And we want, Iran will continue to be a threat. Iran uh, is a grave threat, major threat to us and to the region. I understand that, but they're in the process of developing it. And will keep trying to develop nuclear weapons. But they're in the process of developing it. And I don't think that's disputed by any expert. They are the largest state sponsor of terrorism. It is uh, disputed Hezbollah by uh, Hamas. the state sponsor of terror. The enemies that we're going to have to fight is not just terrorists, it's not just Hezbollah, it's not just Hamas. If you thought that uh, Barack Obama would be taking a different stance towards uh, terrorist organizations in the Middle East or towards the nation of Iran, I don't know who you've been listening to, but that does not appear to be the case. There does not appear to be good evidence for that. His stance on Iraq is exactly the same as G.W. Bush. In fact, I included Hillary Clinton in there a couple of times for good measure. But there are even bigger bogeymen, I think, than that. What about the obvious ones of Iraq and Afghanistan? How many times has Bush been raked over the coals for that, for his massive military involvement in Iraq, his alleged refusal to consider withdrawing from Iraq, and also the, the huge involvement in Afghanistan as well. Well, what does CNN tell us? In 2008, in fact, September 2008, Bush was continuing to announce major troop reductions in Iraq and more troops going into Afghanistan. Now, what has Obama promised? Oh, that's right. This is from the independent.co.uk website. He's going to start withdrawing troops. And by the way, I'm providing the links to these stories in the show notes if you're interested. He's going to start withdrawing troops from Iraq and sending tens of thousands more troops into Afghanistan. Wait a minute. That's exactly the same as George Bush. Tell me exactly how Obama is different. How is he not interested in global, large-scale military intervention? Exactly the kind of thing that Bush is criticized for. I'm not saying here that either of them is right or wrong in their intentions to do these things, but I am talking about the fact that they both have the same intentions. Am I overlooking differences between the two in other way? Yeah, I admit that I am. What's irritating to me, however, is when rather ignorant Obama worshippers trash Bush because he wants America to have large-scale military involvement in the Middle East. For some reason, I, I have a difficulty saying the word military when I'm speaking fast. Because he wants to have large-scale military involvement in the Middle East and uses scare tactics about Iran to justify plotting against them and so forth. Do these people who say these things even realize what Obama's stance is?
why when bush says these things does it earn him scorn and condemnation from liberal circles but when obama says it fangirls are fainting in the aisles about how wonderful he really is there is one thing one thing that i've heard said about obama in popular circles along these lines that is true it does make him different from bush and i think it's a good thing for what it's worth Obama has set plans in motion to close the notorious prison in Guantanamo Bay and end the open practice of torture as a means of interrogation. But that alone is not enough to justify the impression people seem to have that America is now in for something radically new when it comes to the use of military and the war on terror. Moving on, issue number four, above his pay grade, question mark. Barack Obama annoyed, that's putting it mildly, annoyed a lot of pro-lifers during his campaign because of his very strong pro-choice stance on abortion. He has become the darling of that infamous pro-abortion lobby group, Planned Parenthood, the organization that exists for those who plan never to be parents. At one public question and answer session, he was asked when he thinks unborn children acquire human rights. When do they become such that we shouldn't kill them? Here's Rick Warren at the forum at Saddleback Church as he asks Obama the question. And listen to Mr. Obama's reply. At what point does a baby get human rights, in your view? Well, you know, I, I think that whether you're looking at it from a theological perspective or uh, a scientific perspective, uh, answering that question with specificity uh, you know is is uh, above my pay grade so answering that question is above his pay grade a president simply isn't in a position of enough authority to make that call so mr obama would have us think two things about that firstly it's not true secondly it's deceptive given Obama's clear stance on abortion. So let's look at the first problem I have here. It's just not true. Just imagine if a white presidential candidate had been asked whether or not it is acceptable to own black men as slaves. Can they be regarded as house niggers? Can they be treated as mere property? Or do they actually have the status of human persons worthy of equal protection under law? All eyes are on this man as he answers this shocking question. He replies, That's a judgment about what does and doesn't count as a human person. It's complex and metaphysical, and answering questions like that is a little above my pay grade. End quote. That man's campaign would be over in a heartbeat. The fact is, a nation's government protects a group of people. If you think it's above your pay grade to speak about a very large group of entities, unborn children or black people, and indicate whether or not you think they're in that group, then the job of head of state is itself above your pay grade, and you should be in another line of work. Obama would never give this kind of answer to the slavery question, showing that issues like this are not above his pay grade. Now that Obama is president, one of the first things that he has done is approve funding for abortions in third world countries. He did this as president. He did this 
within his current pay grade. I guess it's not above his pay grade after all. He wasn't telling the truth. Obama has since admitted that his answer may have been too flippant, you think. But then he explains his position, and it's still just as bad. He said, and I quote, What I intended to say is that, as a Christian, I have a lot of humility about understanding when does the soul enter into... It's a pretty tough question. And so all I meant to communicate was that I don't presume to be able to answer these kinds of theological questions. So, end quote, by the way, so it's only a theological question, and he's not a theologian, so he can't answer it. But wait a minute, is that what he said previously? He said, and I quote again, whether you're looking at it from a theological point of view or a scientific perspective, end quote. Not only that, but he was asked when an unborn child gets human rights, not when it gets a soul. If he wanted to be honest about his theological position, which he has now just announced, he should have just come clean and said, an unborn child gets human rights when a soul enters into it. Of course, that would make things awkward, because the next obvious question would be, the millions of abortions that you think should be both legal and taxpayer-funded, are they performed on unborn children with rights? It sounds like he'd be saying, well, I don't know. I'm not qualified to answer that. I support the right to terminate them, and I'm happy to make, make people pay for it, but I don't know if we're killing human beings with rights or not. Can you imagine saying that? That actually brings me to the second thing that was wrong with his comment. Not only was it not true, it was not honest. It was misleading, given Obama's own stance on abortion. Again, think of the man asked about owning black slaves. What if he said, I support the rights of whites everywhere to own black slaves, but I have no idea if those black slaves have rights or not. My God, Jim, I'm a politician, not a theologian. The fact is, once you approve of legislation that permits people to own black men and women as slaves, it's hollow and misleading to suggest to the country that you're not going to take a stance because it's above your pay grade. You just took a stance. You didn't remain humble or quiet. You didn't show a great deal of humility on the subject. You didn't act as though you don't know how to answer the question. The same is true of abortion. When you advocate the Freedom of Choice Act, as Mr. Obama just did, liberalizing abortion laws further and increasing the freedom of people to terminate unborn children, you are not abstaining from the debate about the status of unborn children and whether or not they have rights. You are clearly answering it. Once Obama had made his statement about abortion being above his pay grade, Obama's running partner, Joe Biden, now the vice president, was asked to publicly explain his position as well, and it's just as bad or worse. Here, the interviewer points out what Obama has said, and then he turns to Biden for his position on the news show Meet the Press. Have a listen. 
appeared before Rick Warren, he was asked a simple question, when does life begin? And he said at that time that it was above his pay grade. That was the essence of his question. When I asked the speaker what advice she would give him about when life begins, she said the church has struggled with this issue for a long time, especially in the last 50 years or so. Her archbishop and others across the country uh, had a very strong reputation to her views on all this. I guess the strongest probably came from Ed Edward Cardinal Egan, who's the Archbishop of New York. He said, anyone who dares to defend that they may be legitimately killed because another human being chooses to do so, or for any other equally ridiculous reason, should not be providing leadership in a civilized democracy worthy of the name. Those are very strong words. If Senator Obama comes to you and says, when does life begin? Help me out here, Joe, as a Roman Catholic. What would you say to him? I say, look, I know when it begins for me. It's a personally and private issue. For me as a Roman Catholic, I'm prepared to accept the teachings in my church. But let me tell you, there are an awful lot of people of great confessional faith, Protestants, Jews, Muslims, and others, who have a different view. They believe in God as strongly as I do. They're intensely as religious as I am religious. They believe in their faith and they believe in human life. And they have differing views as the when. I'm prepared as a matter of faith to accept that life begins at the moment of conception. But that is my judgment. For me to impose that judgment on everyone else who is equally and maybe even more devout than I am, it seems to me is inappropriate in a pluralistic society. Mr. Biden's approach is similar in tactic to Obama, but it's worse. Obama sidesteps the issue because he says it's complex. Biden freely admits what he thinks. He takes a stance. He says it begins at conception. That's what's true. He says that's what's true for me. But what he means is that's what I believe personally. But then he sidesteps the legal issue um, by saying that people disagree with him. It's funny how that standard only works to get people to set aside their belief that the unborn are fully human. For some reason, you never see people saying, I personally think that it's acceptable to destroy an unborn child, but I realize that for some people this is tantamount to murder, so I would never impose upon them by supporting Obama's funding of abortion. Why doesn't it work that way? Or again, apply this to slavery. When the slavery debates were happening in the southern states, they were passionate and intelligent, even perhaps well-meaning people on both sides of the issue. What would Joe Biden or Barack Obama think of a man who said, my church teaches, let me tell you, my church teaches that blacks are fully human and worthy of civil rights. So that's what I believe for me. That's a matter of faith. And so it would be inappropriate in a pluralistic society to ban people from owning blacks as slaves and taking away their freedom as slave owners when they're just as intelligent and committed to their views as I am to mine. And they were. They really were. But wait a second, you'd say. It's not just about imposing upon the owners of slaves. It's about imposing upon the black men and women at risk of becoming slaves. Exactly. Whether or not you think that blacks are people with rights has a direct impact on who you think it matters that you're imposing upon. Joe Biden accepts as a matter of faith, but he accepts it personally as true, that unborn children are human beings with rights. That is, his faith informs him that this is so, and he personally believes it to be so. Given that this is the case, 
He's morally deficient if he's unwilling to impose upon everyone else to prevent them from killing the unborn. The very thing that makes him personally opposed to abortion, namely his personal conviction that the unborn are fully human, worthy of protection from conception, is the kind of belief that ought to compel you to prevent others from killing them. Just like your, your belief that blacks are fully human and worthy of civil rights is what ought to compel you from trying to ban slavery. You see? But in fact, Biden supports policy that makes abortion widely available. Like a man who wants the right to own black slaves to be widely available, he's not staying out of the debate. He's not being honest about where he really stands. Biden's careless use of the phrase, as a matter of faith, just clouds the issue. What it really means is, on the basis of what God and or my church teaches to be true about the world in which I live. So, if, for example, you believed as an article of religious faith that the death penalty is evil everywhere and always and immoral and unjust, then you believe that as a matter of fact about the world, the death penalty is evil everywhere and always, and you'll try to make sure it doesn't happen. The way that Biden uses the phrase leads us to believe that it means it's something that I think is true, but which only applies to me. So, for me, unborn children are human from conception. But that doesn't make sense. It's like saying, for me, the sky is blue, or for me, gravity makes things fall down. But for you, maybe that's not the case. Oh, that's silly. It's a belief about the world in which we live, not a belief about what we like or don't like. It's as though he thinks these things are true only if you're Joe Biden. And if you're not, and you think God doesn't exist, then for you, God doesn't exist. But he's a Catholic, he doesn't think that, surely. Or does he? I don't know. I guess you'd have to, you'd have to ask him. So both Obama and Biden are either morally confused or intentionally misleading people about the issue of abortion, and maybe both. Not only is this... Not only is the abortion issue well within Obama's pay grade, it's also within his actual power to do something about it. And he is. He's doing something all right. He's making abortion more widely available and trying to soothe pro-lifers by perpetuating the demonstrably false claim that as long as we accompany these liberal abortion laws with more sex education and more access to contraceptions, the abortion numbers will come down. Now, does that actually work? No. I mean, for example, here in New Zealand, the opposite has, has occurred. The more sex education and contraceptive uh, devices we've had access to, the higher the abortion rate has climbed. But let's not mention that. You know, let, let's, not get, let, let's not have the facts getting in our way. So there's a reason not to like Obama. Issue 5. Do you know the difference? I'm speaking to you now, the supporters of Obama. Do you know the difference between interventionism and limited government and why it matters? Can you name just three issues of political principle that are not isolated decisions? For example, close Guantanamo Bay prison. That's one issue. Do you? I mean, this it sounds like I'm getting patronizing here, and I, I guess in a way I am, but... I, this issue really is for crying out loud, learn the subject in general before you comment on a player in the game. No doubt there are many supporters of Obama who 
maybe have done this once or twice in their life. It's a general complaint that I'm offering, however, about and the nature of the support that Obama has received, is receiving. He's cast a spell on people that is so strong. Bear in mind, I'm using a metaphor. This is a Christian podcast, but I'm not one of those Christians. He's cast such a strong spell over so many people that they are so caught up in the craze, so in love with the image and the slogans, so enamored with the idea of change, that the fundamental principles of the office that Barack Obama is being called to fill are lost on them. Those principles, it seems, don't even matter. Before you worship the ground that a president walks on, or more mildly, before you decide that he's a good choice, let's start there, I think that you owe it to yourself and to your fellow citizen to gain a little political understanding. What's the proper role of the state in society? What are its proper limits of authority and so forth? If you're an American, consider the constitutional issues, provided, of course, that you're not anti-constitutional in your outlook. So, how does Mr. Obama's or any president's view of large-scale taxation, wealth redistribution and various forms of welfare square with what your constitution says about the right of the government to take taxes to provide for the general welfare of the United States as a whole? Apart from how you think the multi-billion dollar mortgage bailout might help you personally, how do you think it squares with the constitutional role of government and its duty to protect rather than intervene in private contracts? Is Obama's stimulus bill overstepping the role of the state into the market? What effect do you think these things are going to have? Have you thought about that? I hate to sound like someone who's all about theory or being like a patronizing teacher, but all I'm doing here is begging people to learn the ability to step back and see where a candidate fits into the big picture of politics and not just focusing on one popular policy issue here and one there. To wax metaphorical, don't nitpick about the color of your president's curtains if you haven't even asked if he's at the right address. Don't just ask whether his policy on X is a good one that will do what it is supposed to do. Also ask whether or not X is the kind of thing that he should be making policies on at all. On that metaphorical note, I'm going to draw to a close. In case you haven't guessed already, no, I wouldn't have voted for Obama, even if I could have voted in the US elections, which being in New Zealand I couldn't have, or didn't necessarily like McCain either. I say Ron Paul for the win. Let me know your views. Contact me via the contact form at the Beretta website, www.beretta-online.com, or email me, podcast at beretta-online.com. I'd love to hear from you. The next episode will be a little more like saying hello to my little friend again, now that I've got this out of my system. It'll be a little less like Lou Rockwell. This is Glenn Peoples signing off again, and I'll see you, or rather you'll hear me, next time for another episode of... Say hello to my little friend!